Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this is episode number 15. And what we're going to do today is something I've been kind of wanting to do for a while, but I haven't, I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. And I'm going to offer kind of an extended book review. Uh, many people um, ask me for book reviews. They ask me, tell them about this book or that book or the other thing. And I thought, you know what? It would be really cool occasionally in my podcast to just um, discuss a book that I've read recently that I found really compelling or really interesting. And um, you guys will get it a long extended conversation with me about this book. And uh, if it interests you, you can go pick it up, read it, and uh, hopefully you'll be, you'll be blessed by it. So today in episode 15, we are going to talk about the book, the new book by Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism. Cal Newport, uh, he's also written the book called Deep Work. Uh, Deep Work was an excellent book as well. And he is um, writing about how to focus your attention on the good things in life and not let um, the trivialities of life, kind of the superficialities of life, take away from you doing something deep, meaningful, good. And I think mo- if you're listening to this podcast, you are going to uh, buy into that kind of thesis, right? You're going to be a person who wants um, to be good. You're going to be a person who uh, wants to be better, uh, wants to grow as a leader. You don't want to be a person who wastes time doing frivolous things. Well, if that's you, this book um, digital minimalism is probably for you. I'm just going to tell you right away. I loved the book. I've read a lot about technology, and uh, I think this book was really helpful. And for us at Sacred City Life, who what we're trying to do here is follow Jesus in the everyday rhythm of life. That's what we want to do. Uh, a book like this is actually very helpful to us. And so what I want to do is uh, I'm just going to kind of go through um, the book chapter by chapter and um, lay out what he's teaching and his kind of philosophy of um, technology. That's kind of what he, he's laying out in the book. And um, right off the top, this he is um, a professor now. Um, he's a very smart guy. He's an author. He writes a lot. And... Um, and here's the interesting thing. He does not use social media. In fact, he is very careful with, the, with how he uses any what's called new technology. So phone, iPad, Netflix, these things are the new technologies compared to, let's say, you know, a microwave or our car or whatever. And the reason being is because new technology is being manufactured in such a way that it's actually hijacking our attention from us. So it's creating people who are almost unable to focus and do good, deep work over long, extended amounts of time. So let me just tell you, for me personally, um, I study in about four to five hour chunks at a time. So I get up really early and I pray and I read my Bible and I usually stretch out and I get my coffee and I help my son do a workout. And then I get out of my house by about seven o'clock and try to get to the office here, 7.30, 7.45 at the latest. And I get to work and um, I've got to be able to snap into um, deep focus where I can understand, where I can read the scripture, where I can listen to the Lord where I can read books, and then I'm going to do that. I'm doing that three, four hours at a time. And so it's really important for me to be able to get into that zone and not be distracted by my phone or my email or my computer or my iPad or whatever else. And so I'm always looking for ways to get into that zone, to get into that sweet spot quicker and stay there longer and be more uh, fruitful when I'm there so I can... Um, write these podcasts so I can write leadership curriculums, so I can write my sermons, um, so I can write a thoughtful email even maybe. Um, And so if you do any type of thought work or any type of what we would call deep work, even 
It could be as an artist, as a musician, um, even as a parent. Um, it's important that you can focus your attention. <clears throat> and this new technology is actually, because we're always on and we're always available, it's actually rewiring the human brain so we we are not able to focus for long extended uh, periods of time like we used to. Many of us can't even sit down and read a book for an hour. And so <clears throat> it's important that we assess our lives, take a kind of inventory of our life, and maybe the answer for you might be digital minimalism. That's the title of Cal Newport's book. And he, this is what this is how he defines digital minimalism. A philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. Okay, so I am naturally an early adopter. I've had a phone, an iPhone, since the first day it came out. I was, I've been on Twitter for over 10 years now. Um, when technology comes out, I don't know if it's just my personality or what, I'm an early adopter. I gobble it up. I, I kind of, am, I have been a, a digital maximalist for a lot of my life. Um, the more apps, the cooler things I can do, the more stuff I can do with my phone, the better. Digital minimalism is the exact opposite of that approach. It's not um, saying no to technology. It's saying I'm going to use technology in a very minimal way, in a very limited way to maximize my experience of it and my, uh, and my real life, okay? To put it another way, minimalists don't mind missing out on small things. What worries them much more is diminishing the large things they already know for sure make a good life good. I want you to think about that. What makes a good life good? We know relationships do, real life relationships, not connections online. So here's an example. Our kids are taking a bath. This is a time we will never get back. These, these are moments we will never get back. These are moments that if you talk to your parents, they, it brings them to tears because they miss these moments so much. And yet, when, we, when our kids are in the bath, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to sit there on the toilet, right, with the lid down, whatever. We're not going to the bathroom. Sit there and what? Scroll our phone. That's what we're doing. We're scrolling our phone. We're not present in a moment that we know for sure is a marker of a good life. Being intimately involved in our kids, like just watching them have fun, watching them smile, watching them there in this moment, that, that's a marker of a good life. That's something that makes a good life good. We know that. And yet we are distracted from that moment by today's news, by our news feed, by our emails, by whatever it is. So a digital minimalist is not going to allow technology to take away from their real life. Okay. Now, listen, this is digital minimalists. I, I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a really familiar with this Mary Kondo lady who's doing this, uh, you know, get rid of everything in your home. But Cal Newport is kind of the, the digital version of that in a sense. But he's not a Luddite. He's not somebody that just says technology is bad. Uh, he's a middle ground between Luddism, which is, you know, ignore all technology, just throw it away, you don't need it, and um, mindless adoption. Yeah, sure, download a million apps, the newest, the greatest, let's just keep doing it over and over and over. He's in a middle ground here. Okay. And this, pro, this philosophy of digital minimalism is built off um, three principles. First, clutter is costly. Digital minimalists recognize that cluttering their time and attention with too many devices, apps, and services creates an overall negative cost that can swamp the small benefits that each individual item provides in isolation. So he's basing this principle a little bit off of Henry David Thoreau um, when he, you know, he wrote Walden. He, he kind of went off into the woods and lived there for, I think it was a year, a year or two, I can't remember. And uh, Thoreau says this, the cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to be exchanged for it immediately or in the long run. So it's interesting when you buy something, if you buy a bike, 
that costs you a certain amount of money, but it also costs you a certain amount of your life that you have to exchange for it. And typically, the, 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 the more expensive the item, the more life it takes, right? So your bike, you not only have to buy it, but you also you know, you have to, you have to ride the thing. You, that's going to take life to go ride it. Then you have to wash the thing. You have to upkeep the thing, take care of the thing. So it's going to require some amount of your time. Now your house is the same way. You buy a house and it's going to require a lot from you. You're going to have to repair it and keep upkeep and all this stuff going on. Well, we need to think, uh, we use the same mode of thinking when we're thinking about technology. It's not just, um, you know, what can this add to my life? What, well, that's a cool app. I'm going to, but what's it actually, what's it going to cost from my life? Right? What, what life cost is this actually going to have? Um, am, am I going to be stuck playing this game nonstop? Am I, am I going to be getting notifications all the time? Am I going to feel a pressure to keep up with liking posts and responding on, um, you know, whatever the newest social media app is? Okay, principle number two. So first one, clutter is costly. The more stuff we've got going on, the more it's going to take away from our life. Even if we're only spending five minutes a day on it, it's still cumulatively going to take away our life. Secondly, optimization is important. Digital minimalists believe that deciding a particular technology supports something they value is only the first step. To To truly extract its potential benefit it's necessary to think carefully about how they'll use the technology. Okay, so when we're assessing our life, we're wanting to get rid of clutter. It's not enough, our digital life, it's not enough to say, well, do I use this app or is this app helpful or is this, is this app beneficial to me or can this app add to my life? We must optimize that, that uh, device or that app. We must think about it carefully and weigh the pros and cons, and um, so some. So let's just say Netflix for an example. Netflix might, hey, you know what? I it's a good entertainment app. It's a good time to have some some downtime, but it's not just enough to say, well, it's good. Let's just keep it on my phone. No, it actually might not be good on your phone. Maybe it's um, okay to have on your TV, and so you you're gonna. Uh, optimize your use of it. I'm going to use it for one hour a night. I'm going to use it for two hours um, a weekend or something like that. We have to optimize our use of technology. And then the last, the third principle for digital minimalism, Newport says, intentionality is satisfying. So doing things on purpose. Digital minimalists derive significant satisfaction from their general commitment to being more intentional about how they engage with new technologies. The source of satisfaction is independent of the specific decisions they make and is one of the biggest reasons that minimalism tends to be immensely meaningful to its practitioners. In a way, he's getting at human agency, the ability we have to direct our life, to choose some things in our life. And, And sometimes just adopting every, you know, taking in the phone and getting every app and not having any boundaries with our use of technology um, it feels gluttonous, right? You, you don't feel good after you've, you know, just binged a Netflix Netflix season and while tweeting, while live tweeting something and Instagramming your, you know, your demise while doing it. Um, so what can we do? Well, you can use your human agency, right, to be intentional with the use. I'm only going to use this app during this time of day. I'm going to turn off all my notifications on that app. I'm only going to use my phone, whatever. There's there's a lot of different ways to do it. So that's the three principles. We'll get into a little bit more later. And um, how he goes about advising people to kind of break their addictions and take control of their life and to take use their agency um, to take control of their digital world is a thing he calls the digital declutter process. And he's basically saying put aside a 30-day period or you know, a whole month, during which you're going to take a break from optional technologies in your life. And during this 30-day break, you could call it a fast, you're going to explore and rediscover activities and behaviors that you find satisfying and meaningful. Now, that's a key piece. In fact, I think it's chapter four uh, on leisure, high-quality leisure, was the most beneficial chapter for me 
and it was worth the price of the book. And I think it was game changer. And I can't wait to talk about it when I get to there, get there in this, this podcast. So hold on. If you, uh, if this stuff's boring you, the chapter on leisure is gold. Okay. Then he says, at the end of your 30 day break, you're going to reintroduce optional technologies into your life, starting from a blank slate. Uh, for each technology you reintroduce, you de- determine what value it serves in your life and how specifically you will use it so as to maximize this value. Okay, so probably most of the people listening um, have taken some kind of fast, digital fast. Maybe it was a social media fast. Maybe you fasted from Facebook. Maybe you fasted from Instagram, um, Snapchat. Uh, maybe, well, who knows what, but... Um, so it's kind of like that. You're taking a 30-day fast, but during this fast, you're actually thinking intentionally about how to reintroduce your technology at the end of it, okay? So it's not uh, just a blanket cutting it all out, but you're um, setting up some rules. So let me give you some some uh, three steps here to this d- digital declutter process. One, you're going to define your technology rules, um, now what that means is you're going to look at your life and you go, okay, I'm going to fast from this app. I'm going to ban this app from my life, right? Uh, or I'm going to ban, uh, there's no telephones at the dinner table or the breakfast table anymore. I'm going to ban this completely. You, you're going to go through your life and you're going to, you're going to create some digital rules for yourself. You're going to create new operating procedures on when and how you're going to use technology during these 30-day process. Now, listen, the book gives really great examples, and he's also got a blog that, that gives really great examples. Um, I'm going to give you a few of mine that I've, and I haven't written my whole social media strategy yet. I'm in the process of doing that right now. I've been really busy the past week, but I've begun to implement some things. Here's a couple of mine. Facebook is off my phone period. I don't have it on my phone. I don't check it on my phone. Um, therefore, I only check it on my computer or I can I can check it on my iPad if I need to, which is about once, maybe twice a day. And when I'm on, and basically I am a terrible Facebook user anymore. Um, I'm only posting church stuff or I let my Instagram post to my, to my Facebook. I'm not looking at anybody else's site. I'm not doing it. I'm spending maybe five to 10 minutes uh, on Facebook a day. Okay. So I've deleted Facebook. Facebook adds no value to my life. Uh, I, I kind of want to, the only reason I'm keeping it at all is, is it's so convenient to find a new restaurant or to get on Facebook marketplace and look up something I'm wanting to buy or something like that. It's literally the only reason I'm getting it. And people message me on there sometime asking me questions, comment about the sermon, things like that. So that's, that's it. I check it once, a, once, maybe twice a day, five, 10 minutes at the most. Um, probably the biggest change uh, rule that I've kind of set up is I went into the screen time feature on my phone and I shut down my phone, basically all my social, almost all my social media um, and my distracting things like the news app and things like that from 5 p.m. to uh, 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. I can't remember what my window is. What I found myself doing when I got bored in the afternoon, when I'm with my kids and when I'm with my family, that's when I would open up Instagram. That's when I would just mind-numbingly scroll through the news app and just stare. And I'm not really doing anything. I'm just staring at my phone. And my kids are looking at me staring at my phone. And so when I when I want to present r- rules for their use of technology, they're looking at me and saying, Dad, you're on your phone all the time. Even though all day long I've been studying and I've been reading and I haven't been on my phone. Well, so I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to set up a rule for me. So I've screen time, all these apps, you can literally choose which apps you want to shut down. They all shut down um, from 5 to 9, 9 p.m. So this, these are some new operating procedures for me. I find that, oh, even email, I find them um, really helpful to be present uh, with my family. I've already got some other operating procedures like, um, I don't check social media in the morning before I read my Bible and before I pray. Um, yeah, I've already, I've already, I already turned off all of my notifications, so Justin doesn't get any notifications on his phone. Um, my phone is almost always in some form of sleep mode or whatever they call it 
where, um, so that when I pick up my phone, I'll have, you know, 10, 12, uh, text messages and I can answer them all in one moment. And I'm actually not being interrupted, uh, during my day. And I never have my phone on for a phone call. Uh, it will tap my wrist. Um, but most of the time I'll, I'll be calling people back. So these are some things that I've done. Okay. So you're, you're banning certain apps. You're deleting them off the phone. Oh, that's the other thing I did. I really deleted all the junk off of my phone and I really got it down to one page of apps on my phone. Um, if I haven't used it in a while, I'm just deleting it. I can always go to the app store and get it again if I need to. I want to simplify the use of my phone. Second step, take your 30-day break. Okay, so first one, define your operating procedures, to get your set your new rules, put it in writing to remind yourself. Step two, take a 30-day break. <clears throat> now you're going to probably find, especially if you're a digital addict, if you're so used to Snapchat, you're so used to Twitter, you're so used to Facebook, you're so used to Instagram, um, Reddit, whatever, all these things, and you're so used to like having things buzz at you and tap you and kind of tell you you're meaningful and you're significant and people like you. If you're so used to these things, when you declutter your life digitally, it's going to be very difficult. And you're going to have to fight urges to check technologies that you're not allowed to check. Um, during this month-long process, you must aggressively explore, explore here. Here's what you do, okay? You're going to feel absent. You're going to feel um, less fulfilled. You're going to, there's going to be some, you're going to be bothered by that you, that you, and some days you're going to pick up that phone and you're going to look at it and all you're at, maybe all your social media apps are gone and you're going to be like, ah, what am I, what am, what, what, what should I do right now? This was, this is brilliant. During this month-long process, you must aggressively explore high-quality activities to fill in the time left vacant by the optional technologies you're avoiding. So he's saying, use this 30 days as a, uh, um, as a strenuous uh, time of activity and experimentation. He wants you to use this 30 days to experiment and find things that you enjoy doing better than wasting time on social media. And by the end of your 30 days, he wants you to have kind of rediscovered the type of activities that generate real satisfaction, enabling you to confidently craft, and that's a big word, craft or create a better life. One in which technology serves only a supporting role for more meaningful ends. And I'm going to get into that again. This, that's a, that's a brief hint of high quality leisure and it's coming up in a, in a couple chapters here. Step three, once you've done this 30-day fast, you're going to reintroduce technology, but you're going to do it in a very controlled way. Again, using your agency. Um, here's just the minimalist's technology screening process. One, you, to allow an optional technology back into your life at the end of a di digital declutter, it must serve something you deeply value. Offering some benefit is not enough. So you're not going to put an app on your phone um, just because you used it once. You're not going to um, put Facebook on your phone just because occasionally you find it helpful. Okay, you, You've got to be more ruthless than that. It's got to serve something you deeply value. Let me give you an example. And he talks about this in the book. There's a difference between connection and conversation. There's, a, and I've, um, I think Sherry Turkle wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation that speaks about this. Social media promotes connection, not conversation. But you can hijack social media to help deepen conversation. You can tag some, or you can message somebody on Facebook and say, hey man, you want to go get coffee? And that's actually using social media, a connection, to develop a real conversation that can lead to meaningful and deep value uh, in relationships in the real world. Okay, so you could say, I'm going to keep Facebook on my phone to do that unless there's a better way for you to do that, like text messaging or calling the person or whatever, okay? So one, it's got to it's gotta serve something you deeply value to be, be allowed back in your, in your life. Two, uh, it's got to be the best way to use technology to serve this value. I just said that. So maybe Facebook's not the best way. Maybe text messaging is the best way. <clears throat> and then it's got to have a role in your life that is constrained with a standard operating procedure that specifies when and how you use it. <laughs> I know that sounds like a lot. Um, but again, to maximize our use of technology and not to allow technology to use us, we need standard operating procedures. 
So I'm only going to allow myself, um, well, you've heard some of mine, to use Netflix one hour a, a, a night or to use this app in this very specific way. Uh, I'm not going to give myself free reign, okay? <clears throat> so your, your monitoring, or your, I'm sorry, your month-long break from optional technologies, it's meant to be like a reset for your digital life. You can now rebuild it from scratch in a much more intentional and a minimalist manner. And to do so, you're going to apply that three-step technology screening process to, um, to every optional technology you're thinking about reintroducing. This process will help you cultivate a digital life in which new technologies serve your deeply held values as opposed to subverting them without your permission. It is in this careful reintroduction that you make the intentional decisions that will define you <clears throat> as a digital minimalists. Okay? Um, now, we've kind of talked about this, um, this problem that, okay, if I'm not on my phone all the time, what am I going to do? You're going to feel an angst about it. Um. So what, what do I replace with my, the time I spend staring at my phone, what am I supposed to replace that with? Basically, I'm gonna, I've narrowed it down to three things. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about them very um, in depth except for the third one, which is high quality leisure. First, solitude. Take a walk, Right? Take a long walk, take a bike ride, go for a run, be by yourself. Um, solitude has all kinds of benefits. I take a full solitude day, one day every six weeks, just to be alone with my soul and be alone with God and to have some extended time with my thoughts. Uh, take some time, write in a journal, right? So embrace solitude. That's his first step. Long walk, bike ride, run, write in a journal, um, he talks about our phones have put us in a, um, a state of solitude deprivation. And that is a state in which you spend, <clears throat> excuse me, a close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and free from the input of other minds. So what's bad about sitting down with a few minutes and mindlessly scrolling Facebook is instead of your soul getting time to rest and you're and you having a time alone with your own soul and your own mind you're being bombarded with everybody else's opinion what everybody else is doing and if you're in a bad state of mind and a bad mood that can really spin you spin spin you down a deep dark spiral look at everybody else's life they're having so much more fun look at the weather everywhere else and i my life sucks right instead of having time where of your own thoughts where you can deal with yourself and deal with god okay Second one, this one was pretty fascinating. He's challenging us, or the digital minimalist. <clears throat> to use social media in a new way. Social media was profound, profoundly changed when Facebook introduced the like button. Once they introduced the like button... Facebook and our phones literally became slot machines in our pocket. Um, it's noted that psychologists kind of helped develop the slot machine to be more addictive. That's why so many people get addicted to pulling that lever. They don't know what's going to happen. And that amount of not knowing, that amount of uncertainty makes it more attractive to them. They're, ho they're hoping to get... Um, a jackpot. They're hoping to win money, but they don't really know. And so they just keep pulling and keep pulling and keep pulling. And they can sit there for hours and days hoping that when they pull it, they get that little dopamine hit, right? From winning the lottery. Well, they, the same psychologists helped develop the Facebook like button, even with the colors and all of that stuff. So that when you post something on Facebook, it's like pulling a slot machine. You never really know is this clever thing going to get likes? Is this picture going to get love hearts and, and likes and, or anger faces or, or comments? And every time it does get some of the good things, you get a little dopamine hit. But every time it, it just goes out there in the digital universe and just squanders with only one or two likes, it makes you question, 
all of your life, right? It, it makes you feel um, really bad. So here is what he's saying. The second thing that you should do is not click like. And he's he's actually saying, if you're going to keep Facebook and you're going to keep Instagram, don't like anything. Don't comment at all on anything. He's also doing it because, you know, advertisers are figuring us out and then they're throwing things in our newsfeed that we already want and we're getting confirmation bias and all this kind of stuff going on. But here's, here's another issue. The key issue is that using social media tends to take people away from the real world socializing that's massively more valuable. So when we click like, in our minds, we think, oh, I just connected with that person. Oh, I, I'm just kind of hanging out with that person. Oh, I just kind of talked to that person. Oh, I've just made myself aware to that person. But there's a lot of negative studies that show the more you use social media, the less time you actually tend to devote to offline interaction. And therefore, you're, the more time you spend on social media, the less time you're spending uh, in real life interactions, okay? Leaving the heaviest social media users much more likely to be lonely and miserable. The small boosts you receive from posting on a friend's wall or liking their Instagram photo can't come close to compensating for the large loss experienced by no longer spending real-world time with that same friend, right? A person in the book summarizes like this. They say this, Where we want to be cautious is when the sound of a voice or a cup of coffee with a friend is replaced with likes on a post, right? Your friend just had that baby, cute little baby picture. We like it. Liking that picture cannot replace going and cooking a meal and visiting that friend and seeing that baby face to face. And many times in our minds, we kind of don't pursue the face to face because we've liked something on Facebook or Instagram. And so he's saying, first, embrace solitude. Secondly, don't click like anymore. And this is something I've already implemented. I don't know if I'm going to keep it up for the past week or so. Um, I haven't liked anything on Facebook and I haven't liked anything on Instagram. And it feels very weird because I feel like I want to. But then what it's causing me to do is when I see that person in real life to say, hey man, I saw that picture. That was pretty cool, right? Or whatever it is or that thing I wanted to like. I get to talk to them. All right. Um. Face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard or being understand. So the reason he's taking such a hard stance against these seemingly innocuous interactions is that they teach our mind that connection is a reasonable alternative to conversation. And it's not. We must be people that learn how to... uh, conversate with others, not just like things on Facebook and Instagram. All right, now here we go. Number three, what do you do now? You're off Facebook. You're, you're not using your phone as much. You're not watching as much Netflix. What else do you do? His answer, brilliant, I think. He calls it high-quality leisure. He says this, if you begin decluttering the low-value distractions from your life before you've convincingly filled in the void they were helping you ignore, the experience will be unnecessary, unpleasant at best, and a massive failure at worst. So what he's saying right there is, over time, we've become addicted to our phones and our new technology, and we filled our lives with meaningless things watching a screen all the time and it's taken away from our ability to do things that matter and do things that are real and do things that have meaning and so if you just cut out the digital you're going to have this huge void in your life and you've got to replace that with something and he gives kind of three leisure lessons and I I think they're great and let's get into them number one leisure lesson number one Prioritize demanding activity over passive consumption. Now, what he's saying here is, um, and there's a lot of studies out there, for your brain and for your body, 
vegging out in front of the TV and, and binge watching Netflix is not rest, um, restorative for your soul. It's not. And it makes you feel like a lazy turd. Okay. Makes you feel bad. It is not good for you to do that. And so with your leisure time, you should prioritize demanding activity over passive consumption. Listen to this guy. He um, was a political advisor, uh, PhD, brilliant guy. Um, I think he had a PhD in actually law or philosophy. I can't remember. And he, he quit his job to become a motorcycle mechanic and open a, a motorcycle um, uh, rest, rest, restoration company. His name's Matthew Crawford. And he spent, he spent a lot of time working in both virtual and physical spaces. <clears throat> and he's particularly eloquent in describing the unique satisfaction of physical spaces, of building things, working on things, creating things with your hands. Here's what he says about um, the f- creating things in the physical world. They seem to relieve him of the felt need to offer chattering interpretations of himself to vindicate his worth. What what does he mean? He can simply point, the building stands, the car now runs, the lights are on. He says this, boasting is what a boy does who has no real effect in the world. But craftsmanship must reckon with the infallible judgment of reality, where one's failures or shortcomings cannot be interpreted away. See, one way to understand the exploding popularity of social media platforms in recent years is that they offer a substitute source of aggrandizement. In the absence of a well-built wood bench or applause at a musical performance to point toward, you can instead post a photo of your latest visit to a hip restaurant, hoping for likes or desperately check for retweets of a clever quip. But as Crawford implies, these digital cries for attention are often a poor substitute for the recognition generated by handicraft, as they're not backed by the hard-won skill required to tame the infallible judgment of physical reality, and come across instead as the boasts of a boy. Craft allows an escape from the shallowness and provides instead a deeper source of pride. Now, I recently read uh, a speech given by Theodore Theodore Roosevelt uh, in Chicago at the Hamilton Club in the spring of 1899. He said, quote, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life. Now, Roosevelt was getting a Getting, addressing this uh, valuing high-quality leisure, things that, do, that are strenuous, that, that actually challenge you. He practiced what he preached. As president, Roosevelt regularly boxed. Um, he practiced jiu-jitsu. He, he skinny-dipped in the Potomac, and he read at the rate of one book per day. He was not one to just sit back and relax and veg out. So... <clears throat> um, Instead of checking your phone for an hour a day, go work out hard. Go for a hard run. Uh, Do something hard. Secondly, leisure lesson number two, use skills to produce valuable things in the physical world. This is where he's getting at, we need to be craftsmen and women again. We need to learn trades as hobbies. We need to learn carpentry. We need to learn how to knit and how to sew or how to paint or how to do, you know, play the guitar or how to remodel our home or how to work on your car, right? Leisure is, leisure is meant to kind of Tap into something that's deep within us that wants to create and make and fix and remodel and restore. And digital media really, he calls it the boasts of a boy, right? It's trying to gain significance or meaning and value in a real cheesy way instead of having something to actually show for it. Look what I've built. Look what I've created. 
Look what I've made. Now, what's interesting is if you spend a lot of time, let's say you work in the intellectual world, you use your brain um, and not really your body most of the day. And a lot of times that's me. Um, I'm studying a lot. I'm giving counsel. I'm giving advice. I'm sitting down or standing at my standing desk. I'm not moving around a lot. So what that means for me is my leisure needs to be a lot different than that. And so my leisure is doing construction work. My leisure is carpentry. My leisure is jujitsu or riding my bike or working out in my garage. Those things are engaging my body, what I don't get to engage very often, and it's high-quality leisure. All of those things. Now, oh yeah, this is the his kind of definition of high-quality leisure is something that is good, not just utilitarian good. It's a good in itself. So what's fun about building something, it's not just that once you're done, you have a bench and you can sit on. It's, it's, actually, it's actually good to create something. That's a good in itself. And it's just enjoyable to take a bunch of boards and six hours, eight hours, two weeks later, now you have a bench. That is a good in itself. It's not just a utilitarian good. It's philosophically good. Right? It's enjoyable just for the fact that you did it. Um, it's not just you knit something together and now you have gloves. Well, that's you, you have the value of gloves, but you also have the inherent value of making something good. And that, and you don't get that with watching Netflix. You don't get that with um, being on your phone all the time. And so, which is interesting, I love his, his some of his ideas here. He says, some of the best uses of social media is how to learn how to do things in the real world. And I use this, this is, I mean, I use this for YouTube um, every single day. Every day, I use YouTube to learn a new jujitsu move, to learn how to um, fix something in my house or with, you know, a camera or something in, that I've got going on, um, or to, you know, learn about a, a mountain bike trail I want to go in or how to do something on my mountain bike. You can literally learn how to do anything, how to play the guitar, how to um, draw, how to paint, how to sculpt, um, whatever it is, how to play ice hockey, how to ice fish, how to um, get better at running. I mean, all these things that, that, that you can do in the physical world, you can learn how to do them on YouTube. And that's actually the best way to use YouTube is to teach you how to do something in the real world. And that is a good in itself. And, um, and then so if you work uh, nine to five, if you're doing um, f heavy framing or something, or you're a steel worker, and you're working with your body all day long, and you come home and you're physically exhausted, it's going to be really hard to get to the gym. It's going to be, it's not going to, might not be that enjoyable for you to go do jujitsu or ride a long bike ride. Now, maybe it will. But maybe you need to use your mind in leisure, you know, some kind of puzzle, some kind of journaling, some kind of reading, some kind of writing, um, anything along those lines. You're going to want to be more maybe intellectually bent towards your leisure time. But again, doing hard things is going to be better than just vegging out. And studies show that your brain doesn't actually just, doesn't actually like run out of steam and get tired and therefore you need to veg out. Um, that's what sleeping's for. What your brain needs is to do something different. And so if you've been studying all day, it your brain will actually, so for me, uh, when I'm studying all day, I'm using my brain very intensely. But when I go to jujitsu, jujitsu is very mental. It's very cognitive. It's like a, it's like a chess match with another person. Every move he makes, I have to make something else. And I'm constantly thinking, what move could I do? And could I grab here? And could I choke him unconscious this way? And if I do that, what's he going to do? It's very mentally demanding, but my brain loves it. And it feels different because it's not studying. It's not reading. There's still an embodied aspect. And so we don't need to sit on the couch and do nothing. A lot of the times that doesn't actually restore our soul. We need to use our mental functions, our mental capacities in a different way right? Try to paint. Painting is very mental. It's very difficult. You're trying to capture the light and all these different things. Experiment. Try these things. Okay. Last leisure lesson that I found really helpful. Seek activities that require real world structured social interactions. 
the, one of the best examples that he gives in the book, and you know it rings true with me, is <clears throat> yes, you should work out um, going to the gym, putting your headphones in your ears, and being alone. Um, now, that might be good for somebody who is very social and he wor- they work in a very social environment around people all the time, got a lot of relationships. But if you're an introvert, or if you're in an environment that you're like a, like me, that you're alone a lot studying, what you need is you need social leisure time. And so the best place for you to go and get a workout, and one of the reasons it's so popular, is the CrossFit gym. CrossFit is fitness with community. And the community aspect keeps you coming back, um, and it really gets you hooked. <clears throat> and so... Um, he, he, he recommends join a knitting club, join, do, do work out at a CrossFit gym, do fitness together, join a bike riding group, join a book club, join. So high quality leisure involves people, involves community. Uh, not to mention for us, it's an avenue for, it's a missional opportunity, right? An avenue to meet people that don't know Christ. And so from these three, um, lessons, he basically breaks down two kind of principles that we need that you need to do during your 30-day fast. You need to one, create, restore, or fix something every week. So a goal, create, restore, or fix something every week. Do something in the physical world that you can point to and say, I did that. I cut that tree down. I chopped that log, that that um, those logs, right? I fixed that in the house. Uh, I repaired that on my vehicle. I mowed the grass, whatever it is. And then secondly, here's the big one. Schedule your low-quality leisure. Now, what he's saying, he's not saying get rid of Facebook completely always or get rid of Netflix completely and never look at your TV. No, he's saying use it purposefully. Use it intentionally. Schedule your time, right? So, you're like, I don't want to be watching TV when the kids are aw- when the kids are awake. So I'm going to uh, allow myself one show um, three nights a week after the kids go to bed, or I'm going to wa- allow myself two shows on Saturday night. Um, but I'm not going to allow myself to watch two, three, four episodes every single night. That's a waste of time. So schedule your low quality leisure time. Um, be purposeful. And he, he really keeps on saying, doing nothing, vegging out is overrated. Um, in the middle of a busy work day or after a particularly trying morning of childcare, it's tempting to crave the release of having nothing to do. All right? We just crave like whole blocks of time with no schedule, no expectations, and no activity beyond whatever seems to catch your attention in the moment. <clears throat> These decompression sessions have their place, but their rewards are muted as they tend to devolve toward low-quality activities like mindless phone swiping and half-hearted binge-watching. For the many different reasons argued in the preceding pages, investing energy into something hard but worthwhile almost always returns much richer rewards. So it's interesting. I feel like so many people have bought into this idea that leisure is doing nothing. Rest means doing nothing. No, sleep is doing nothing. Rest is different. And for the Christian, we should know this because God tells us, and I think it's Hebrews 4, work hard to enter my rest. And when he tells us to Sabbath, to rest, that's not stay at home and do nothing. Our rest is meant to be work in some ways. Our rest is meant to be soul work. Our rest is meant to come and worship God together with other people and sing to him and read the scriptures and confess our sins, and profess our faith, and take the sacraments together, and meet with one another, and love one another, and care for one another, that's soul rest. That's how we're meant to rest. And Cal Newport here is really tapping into something when it comes to this high-quality leisure. As Christians, we need to reject this vegging out, doing nothing, mindlessly watching TV um, as, as somehow virtuous. And we need to get back to doing hard, strenuous, good, creative things with other human beings to restore our soul. And I think all of those things can be done for the glory of God and to worship God. So um, I really enjoyed this book. I found it really helpful. Um, 
personally helpful. I've read a lot on technology, but I found uh, a lot of tips and tricks in here. And I think it really has changed my outlook um, and my use of phones and the way I'm going to use my phone. I've even looked into buying a dumb phone, uh, a phone specifically called the light phone, actually, that pretty much all it does is make phone calls and you can kind of briefly text and maybe get some directions on it. Um, I looked it up though. And of course it's sold out and it's like, I think they're making the new one and pre-orders are now, but they can't, you can't buy it until June. But I've looked into this. I, I'm, I'm really looking into ways to, um, engage with human beings more, do more good, um, remodeling projects, creative things, make things and, um, kind of step away from the digital world because, I don't like what it does to my soul. I don't like what it does. It takes away my attention from my family and things that I know are meaningful and and have deep value, like missional community life, like studying God's word, like my family and friends. And um, and so I apologize for all those who are friends of mine on Facebook and Instagram. I won't be liking your posts anytime soon. Um, but, and here's something that's pretty funny. I would appreciate it, if you are on these apps, to go ahead and share this podcast. Like it, share it, love it, comment on it. All those things help people find these podcasts. And um, it's my uh, goal just to help as many people as possible. So hopefully you found this uh, book review helpful. If Now listen, I would really value your feedback if you made it this far. If you would like to hear uh, uh, me do more book reviews in the future, uh, comment, send me a message, send me an email. I would love to hear it. And if uh, if I don't hear anything, then maybe you guys aren't interested. And, uh, you know, we'll go back to doing some different things. So thank you guys for your time. Um, and I will see you next month on the Sacred City Life podcast. Mm-hmm.